Well, good morning, Grace Fellowship. How's everyone doing this morning? Are we all right? Praise the Lord. That's good. All right, well, today we continue in our series on strongholds. Oh, but before I get there, i got to tell you something real exciting. So we're going to have another night of worship and prayer. How many people have been? How many people have been? All right, so March 3rd, the day that we're capping this series, we're coming back together again to celebrate God's goodness, okay? So please mark this on your calendar. It's a Sunday evening at 6 o'clock. We'll be here for a time just devoted to worship and to prayer, okay? And uh, if you haven't been to one of these, talk to someone who has been because God is doing something. He's doing something remarkable. He's breaking down strongholds. He really is. And he's setting people free. So please consider coming out for this, okay? Enough of a plug. Um, if you've been with us, you know that we're in this series called Strongholds, Understanding and Destroying Satan's Schemes Together. If you do not have one of these booklets, you can raise your hand, and one of our ushers, I'm sure, would be glad to get you one. Do we have anybody who needs one of these? Come up front here. Um, do we have ushers in the room? That would be a better question. Do we have ushers in the room? <laughs> People raising their hand. Wait, we do have some. Okay, good. So keep your hand up, please, so these folks can get you one. In addition, you had in your bulletin today a copy of the Peacemaker's Pledge. Very important that you get a copy of this this week. If you don't have one, if you didn't get a bulletin, please grab one on the way out. Um, get a copy of the Peacemaker's Pledge because next week we're asking you to sign that with us and we'll talk more about that during the message. So if you've been with us, you know that we've uh, identified strongholds as established patterns of thinking that run contrary to God's truth. And I want to stop there today. Um, just as I was standing backstage praying, um, God said I, I, he wanted me to tell you something. And he, he wants you to know that he loves you so much. And that he died to forgive you of every sin that you've ever committed and ever will commit. You are 100% released. And if you let his love in, you will love each other. And God's kingdom will come. His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's it. Message hasn't changed. It's that simple. Question is, will you let God's love in today? Will you receive his gift of forgiveness and mercy and loving kindness and patience? Because listen carefully. You cannot give what you do not have. You can't do this in your own strength. You can't win this battle by your might, only by the Spirit of God. So Father, we come before you now and we thank you that you are the great lover, the lover of our souls, and that your love endures forever. Your faithfulness is unto the sky. Your mercies are new every morning. There is no one like you, God. And you sent your one and only son to die for us, to forgive us, to wash us clean of all of our sins, Lord. That we stand before you spotless now because of Jesus Christ. Lord, as your bride, we ask today that you would help us to receive your love. That that love would come to us and that your love would move through us. That your will would be done right here in this room as it is in heaven. Father, thank you that you have called us to be set apart, different than the world around us. 
and that you are the one who has given us divine power to demolish our stronghold thinking. So God, demolish those things that stand in the way of us receiving your love and forgiveness. We thank you. We praise you that you are good and that you will complete the good work that you started in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So again, we've identified strongholds as established patterns of thinking that run contrary to God and his truth. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now remember, that's the kind of stronghold that's talked about in 2 Corinthians 10. A stronghold that's built in deception. But remember, a stronghold can also be God himself. Because you can have strongholds, established patterns of thinking that are in line with truth. And when you do, that truth acts as a fortress around you to keep deception from getting in. But what Paul was talking about in 2 Corinthians 10 is something that we believe all of us have. Established patterns of thinking that run contrary to God and his truth. And the question is, will you allow God to reveal these to you and to heal them for you? Now, we looked at this roadmap for change. It's found in Jeremiah 6.16. I hope you've been looking at these verses. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient path. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. So we're walking through this series now in week three, and we're looking at each one of these verbs. To, um, actually, yeah, we started first with an introduction in uh, 2 Corinthians, then we looked at stand last week, and this week we're going to look at look. Now, the scripture says we stand at a crossroads. Remember, that's decision-making places. A crossroads is a place where at least two roads cross, and you have at least three options in front of you, and you're supposed to stop and be still and know that God is God and that you are not, and then you're supposed to look. Now, look for what? Where? What am I supposed to look for, and where am I supposed to look for it? I've got three simple postures for you today. Look up, look in, look out. Let's say it again. You're supposed to look up, you're supposed to look in, and you're supposed to look out. You're supposed to first look up to God. You're supposed to then allow him to help you look inside of yourself, and then you're supposed to look out to others. And God, I believe, if you seek him in this, will reveal much to you about himself, about yourself, and about the people around you. If you want to follow along in your booklet today, we are on page, we're going to start on page 15 with Psalm 139, and then we're going to come back to page 14 when we look at the story of Nathan and Daniel. So go with me for a second here. We're going to look at Psalm 139, and I want you to understand something. This psalm has an order to it that is very, very purposeful. If you have a little pen or a little highlighter or something, you can walk with me as I walk through the Word of God. Psalm 139 for the director of music of David, a psalm. David was a poor shepherd boy, but he also became king. He was um, perceived as being the smallest, and yet he was a man after God's own heart. He was the runt of the linner in his family. He was the one who was kind of cast to the side. Nobody even considered him for this position except God himself. And David now is a king, and he is a man after God's own heart, and he's penning these words. Listen, 
You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I arise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Stop. I would challenge you to go back and highlight and circle all the words you. Because David is looking to God. He's talking to God, but he's talking to God about the character of God. One of the most important things that you need to know is the heart and character of God. If you understand God's heart for you, with you, and in you, if you understand who he is, a God of love and compassion and mercy and patience, if you understand that he longs for your best, that will change the way that you live your life. Now remember, many of us say, oh, I know these things. We're not talking about believing things. We're talking about knowing a person. You see, belief is a relatively weak word. You know, I believe this, I believe this. Uh, I believe in Jesus, I believe in God. Stop. Do you know him? I can say right now, I believe in my wife. I believe Tracy has a great artistic gift. I believe Tracy this, I believe this, I believe that. I can say, no, no, wait a second, stop. I know her. I know her. I spend time with her. I love her. She speaks to me. I speak to her. I know her heart. She knows my heart. You see, this is what God longs for you to know, intimacy with him. Not just head knowledge, but heart knowledge. And the only way you can get knowledge from your head to your heart is to trust him and walk with him. That old song, he walks with me and he talks with me. And he tells me that I'm his own. Right? See, so many of us get duped into thinking that studying the scriptures and memorizing a bunch of facts about God is the Christian way of life. Can I tell you, that is a lie from the pit of hell. Why? Because the religious people did that at the time of Jesus. And what did he call them? Whitewash tombs, you brood of vipers! Can you imagine what the modern vernacular would be for that? I think he needs cussing them out, man. I really do. You hypocrites! He said you take one convert and you make them twice as fit for hell as you are yourself. Why is he saying that? Because they are putting religion on people. They're heaping burdens on people's back. He says, no, no, no. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. There it is again. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. What was the yoke? The yoke was the way the rabbi, rabbi interpreted the law. Remember, a yoke literally is a farm implement that you put over the shoulders of two farm animals, like two ox or two cattle or whatever. You put this piece over it, and then they can pull the plow together. Jesus says, come yoke yourself with me, and your burden will be easy. It will be lighter for you. But see, it was also the way that the rabbi interpreted the law. So when you walked with a rabbi... You took upon yourself the interpretation of God's law from that rabbi. So if you walked with Gamel, literally walked with him, because they walked everywhere. You know, Jesus didn't do discipleship in classrooms. 
He didn't put a bunch of people and desks at tables and chairs. He walked with them. He lived life with them. He encountered people with them. And if you walked with your rabbi, it meant, I want you to teach me how you interpret the law. You see, and Jesus came to fulfill the law for you and for me, to release us from the penalty of the law. You see, he came to give us life and life abundantly. He came to set the captives free. And if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Now the question is, are you experiencing the freedom of this one named Jesus Christ? If you are not, the problem is not with him. The problem is with us. And I'm preaching to myself, guys. Some days I feel a whole lot more free in Jesus than other days. And it's not about how I feel. It's about the truth of the gospel. But the question is, am I enjoying the freedom of God? Am I walking in the freedom of God? I can tell to you today that I am because I'm here. By God's grace, I'm here. And David is saying, look, you know me. Your thoughts are wonderful to me. Listen to what he says here. Before, word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to obtain. What's he saying? God, you are omniscient. You know everything. If you want to understand the character of God, just look up the omnis. You know, omniscient, omnipresent, omnibolivenant, om, omnipotent, right? Omni, omnipotent, omnipotent. All-powerful is omnipotent. Omnipresent is everywhere. Omnibenevolent is all-loving. And omniscient is all-knowing. God is all of those things. And we have no reference point for God other than God himself. Because we look to each other and none of us know everything. Anybody here want to raise their hand and say you know everything? If you do, please, the people around them, step back. The lightning bolt is going to come. And look, this is very important when we go to look to acknowledge that we don't know squat. I'm saying here, David says, such knowledge is too wonderful to me, too lofty for me to attain. God, my three-pound brain will not hold even a little bit of what you know. God, I need you. You know everything. You're all powerful. You're all loving. Look, he says, if I go up to the heavens, you are there. Where can I flee from your presence? Where can I go from your spirit? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there too. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, and if I settle at the far th side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. That is an affirmation of God's love. That no matter where I am, no matter where I go, no matter how dark it gets, you are my light, and you'll guide me, and your right hand's going to hold me. You will not let go of me, God. Will you say that out loud with me? You will not let go of me, God. You will not let go of me. Now, if you're in Christ Jesus, can I tell you at times that thought has scared me a little bit? I remember when I first came into faith in Christ, I don't know, 30-some years ago. I can't even remember yesterday, so bear with me. But I remember I was sitting with a friend and I was troubled over this whole new faith walk and I was trying to figure out what's going on and I'm like, why do I feel these things? What's going on inside of me? And I got scared that somehow things were going to start falling apart. She looked at me, she said, Jeff, you've come too far to turn back. He's got you. Oh my gosh, did that scare me. Why? Because now I had to give up control 
We like control. Our flesh loves control. But when God has you, you are no longer in control. When God has you, he is going to show you a million ways that you are not in control. And he is going to humble you to show you that you desperately need him. Now, a lot of people say, oh, you go around breaking God's law. Can I tell you something? People cannot break God's law. They can break themselves on God's law, but they cannot break God's law. Let me give you an example. Here's a big old rock mountain. There's one down in Atlanta. It weighs tons and tons and tons and tons. It's a huge flipping rock. It's bigger than this entire building. It's bigger than this entire property. And I don't care what kind of vehicle you get. If you get in your little Fiat or if you get in your Mack truck and you go, I am going to run at that rock as fast as I can in my car. And I am going to have the victory. Can I stand back and tell you something? Whoa, dude, you better slow down. That's a rock. And it ain't moving. Oh, I'm going to move it. I'm going to move it with my big Mack truck. I'm going to move it with my Chevy Impala. I'm going to move it with whatever it is that you think that you have. Can I tell you something? You do not have enough power. That rock is immovable. I don't care if you fly it at 100 miles an hour. You are going to break yourself on the rock. So God's law, all his laws are universal and they are forever. And you can either submit to them or you can break yourself on them. But God is not going to move for you. He loves you. That's why. He put those laws in place, not because he's a rigid rule maker, but these are laws that liberate. He wants to set you free. Because if you follow him, if you trust him, if you walk with him, he will speak into your life and he will change you in such a way that you go, where can I go from your presence, God? If I go to the depths, you're there. If I go to the heavens, you're there too. Your right hand will hold me fast and you will guide me. That is an affirmation of God's goodness and he's omnipresence in our lives. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, the light will become night around me. Listen, even darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness as is light to you. God, you are the one who brings revelation. You are the one that helps me see stuff that I could never see before. You are the one that will poke around in the dark closets of my soul and find squishy, smelly stuff and pull it out. And I don't want to talk about it. But you'll pull it out anyway. Why? For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. What's David doing? He first praises God for who God is, and now he's praising God for who he is. You say this after me. God don't make no junk. And God made me. So I ain't no junk. If you're an English teacher, I apologize profusely. You know, some of us could just just meditate on 13 and 14 for like weeks. For you created my inmost being, God. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made, God. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Do you know when you look in a mirror or you hear yourself on a recording or you see yourself on a video and you cringe? 
Do, do you know? Do you know that you are sinning against God's creation? You. Now, don't take that and add more shame to yourself. Don't do that with that. That's not what that was intended to do. What that's intended to do is help you reflect on yourself for a minute and go, what am I thinking about me? You measure your value and worth in all the wrong ways because you and I, we bought into the world's standards. So you think if you're thin enough or pretty enough or smart enough or you have enough money, that makes you okay. That doesn't make you okay. What makes you okay is that God created you and that he loves you and that he died for you and your identity is based in him alone. So David goes, look, you are the one who knit me together. You're the one who created me in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wait a minute and look at your hand. Just look at your hand. Can you go, oh my. Go like this, just move it. Just move it. Is that not a flipping miracle? Right now, I told you to do something. You heard my language and my voice. It, vibrations, vibrations went through the air. They went into your eardrums. Your eardrums vibrated. You translated it into your brain. All these neural networks happened. Then you started listening to me, and you actually sent signals through your nervous system, down from your brain, through your arm, into your hand, and you made it move. You are a walking miracle. You are a miracle. And look, you're going to need to know who God is. And you're going to need to know who you are in him. For if you're going to be about breaking strongholds and demolishing them with God's divine power, you are going to have to hold the hand of God. And know who he is and know who you are in him. For if not, you will shirk and you will run away. Because where we're going next, it's not fun. My frame was not hidden from you when I made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book. Before one of them came to be, how precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. If I were to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I'm awake, I'm still with you. I'm going to stop there for a second because when you read scripture, do you ever get this thing where you're like, oh, I'm tracking with you, God, I'm tracking with you, God, and then you just jump into that next verse and you go, what the heck was that? <laughs> ever feel that? Just raise your hand if you feel that. You're like, God, I was just moving along with you here. This was all so beautiful. And then why does that look so ugly? And what is that doing right next to this? That's the way that these verses struck me when I first read them. And I've talked to some people about it and they all go to go, what's he doing there? I think I know now. I think God showed me. He says, this is who you are, God. This is how beautiful I am. So let's take a peek on the inside. Let's take a peek on the inside. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. You speak, they speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Now, is that not obtrusive isn't that not a little bit of a shift can i tell you what god's doing god has showed david his character he showed him who he is and he's saying now let's go inside let's go inside david now can i tell you something these are not godly thoughts you know why because jesus said what love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you do good to those who hate you And David is saying, I have nothing but hatred for them. God, kill them. 
Now, by the way, have you ever had these kinds of thoughts? Just raise your hand. Just raise your hand. Have you ever had them for the people closest to you? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Tracy and I often tell premarital couples we've never considered divorce, but we have considered homicide. <laughs> and when you get honest enough, when you live with someone, yeah, this smelly stuff comes out. And you kind of go in your prayer closet and you go, God, I don't know what to do with them. I don't want to straddle them. Look, I love my mother-in-law. And Judy, if you're listening, I love you. But you know we've had issues. She can't hear me. And she won't listen to this. I guarantee you. <laughs> now watch, she'll listen to it. And if you know Judy, nobody's calling her. Nobody's calling her. When we first got married, there were some growth opportunities. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Things have gotten better over 20-some years. They have. But I used to have a little prayer shed. I had a prayer room, but I also had a prayer shed. And I insulated that shed, and I put drywall in that shed, and I made sure it was soundproof. You know why? I was doing this stuff in there. And when I, when I got fed up enough, I didn't know what to do. Felt like I was going like, to do something bad. I ran to the prayer shed. And I yelled at God. Now, can I tell you something? God is big enough to handle your yelling. He's big enough to listen to you. He does not shirk away when you yell. He doesn't get defensive. He doesn't flip out. Because he already knows your heart. If your heart's in this place, you bring it across to your mouth, at least God's going, okay, now you're getting honest with yourself. Like, I've known it the whole time. The unfortunate part is that some of us stay in this place for decades. Decades. My mom, God bless her, she's home with the Lord now. All this stuff is gone. She was a great woman. She really was. But man, could she hold on to something? I remember one of my aunts, like, hurt her once, you know. And then you bring up my aunt's name like 10 years later. She's like, oh, I remember when aunt so-and-so did that. And I'm like, that was 10 years ago. Let it go. Let it go. But there's something in our human whole soul that hangs on to these offenses because we think that we need that to protect ourselves. And we're keeping out the love of God. We're nurturing our hurts. We're nursing our resentments. And we're keeping out the love of God. And God's love is there pressing on us. And so David brings all this stuff out. He goes, do I not hate those who hate you, Lord? I abhor those who are in rebellion against you. I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. And then I envision a very long pause. I envision a man who is filled with anger and hatred slumping over his desk. Saying, search me, God. Know my heart. Test me, God, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. And lead me in your way everlasting. See, I think there were unclean ways in David. And I think there are unclean ways in us. And I think those last two verses should be the prayer of all of our hearts. Search me, God. You know my heart already. 
test me. Know my anxious thoughts. You already know it. See if there is any offensive way in me, God, and reveal it to me and lead me in your way. Do you know God's love enough to ask him, God, point out all the dark, smelly, squishy stuff in me? For if I can just allow you to transform this life, then I can see other lives so much more clearly. See, the problem is so many of us spend so much time on the other side of the fence trying to change other people that we never really take so much time to think about changing ourselves. And when we try and change ourselves, we find out that we really can't do it apart from God's power and his grace. We must run to him. We have to look up. Now let me tell you two reasons why you have to look up before you attempt to look in. Psychology will tell you, oh, no, you don't need God to look in. You can honestly self-examine apart from him. You don't need him. Can I tell you that's a crock? Here's the first reason why. You will get it wrong almost 100% of the time. Because God knows you. That's what David said. He knows you perfectly. So if you look to him, he'll tell you what you need to fix and what you don't need to fix. He'll tell you what's broken and what's not broken. But I'll tell you, when I don't look at God, here's two things that inevitably happen. I end up beating myself up for things that are not my responsibility. Anybody say amen about that? And you know why I beat myself up for things that are not my responsibility? To avoid the things that are. You see, I would spend all this time going, oh, I'm going to fix this, I've got to take care of that, I've got to do this over here. And God's saying, stop, stand at the crossroads, look with me. You're avoiding the real issue. No, that wasn't your fault. No, that's not your thing over there. No, that's not over there. And then, by the way, it's not about you changing that person over there. But if you'll just stand with me for a few minutes, I will show you what you need to see about you. The problem is you're afraid to see it, Jeff. And I'm the one who takes away all your fear because my love casts out all fear. My love is perfect. But if you'll just stand with me and let me love you for a while, let me love on you. Let me help you know that you're forgiven before you even see what you need to see. You're already forgiven of it. I've already done away with it at the cross. I died for you. I washed you with my blood. So when you look inside yourself and you see these things you do not like, help you, help, just help me to help you know something. I love you. I love you. I love you. And it's all forgiven. Don't avoid it. Take my hand. And I want to walk into your soul in the dark closets where my gospel light has not quite reached there yet. And I want to shine my light on that dark, smelly stuff in there. And I want to open it up. And I want your whole heart and your whole soul to be filled with my life. Will you let me have my way in your life? See, this is what God is asking us. And David is a man who looks up so that he can look in. Turn over, please, then, to um, page 14. This is 2 Samuel 12. I know we're looking at a lot of scripture today, but here's the thing I want to encourage you in. I want you to go home and spend time with God in the word of God. 2 Samuel 12 is a story of David and Nathan. Now, this is the same dude that was just praying that prayer in Psalm 139. Search me. Know me, God. Test my actions. See if there's any unclean way in me and lead me in your way everlasting. Now, I already tried to look up the inevitable, which was did he write the psalm after this occurrence with Nathan? I don't know. Nobody seems to know. It doesn't really matter. What really matters is the heart of God and the condition of David. You see, David is a man after God's own heart, and yet is a radical sinner. Now, Paul 
was a man after God's own heart. And he says, yeah, I'm the chief of sinners. Can you say that about yourself? I'm the chief of sinners. Can you say that with me? I'm the chief of sinners. You see, when, when, you, when you identify that you're the problem, <laughs> what, Jeff? I'm the problem? He's the problem. She's the problem. No, you're the problem. You know, there's a, um, a contest held close to 100 years ago. London Times wanted to publish treatises by the greatest thinkers of the time, and they asked the greatest philosophers to submit papers explaining what is the problem with the universe. And they got these incredible treatises, hundreds of pages of long, with the best minds trying to think about what is the problem with the universe. This is something that our greatest minds have been trying to solve for the longest time. And the most succinct and correct one they got was from a pastor. And the question was at the top of his paper, and it said, what is the problem with the universe? And his answer was two words. I am. That's it. I'm the problem. Folks, if we can take responsibility for our own lives and our own hearts and becoming the one, rather expecting other people to be the one, believe me, God's kingdom will come in your life. His will will be done in an amazing way. And you will be set free. Because Jesus wants to set you free. And the reason how, a way he sets you free is first by you looking up to him and understanding who he is, how powerful he is, all knowing he is, all present he is, but then allowing him now to shine his light into your life to see what you are capable of. A lot of people when they talk about, well, I'm not an axe murderer. Well, but if you had an axe and you were given like carte blanche, would you? That's what Jesus says all the time in the scripture. He goes, hey, I think you're righteous because you haven't been a, you know, physically unfaithful. Like, yeah, you haven't had sex with another woman other than your wife, but I tell you the truth, if, you've already, if you take a woman into your mind, if you take a little snapshot of her bottom, you've already done it. And the religious people are like, what? He's going, yeah, it's in your hearts. The problem is not necessarily what you do, it's in your heart. He wants to change what you do, but he wants to change your heart. You see, he wants to change what's inside. He wants you to want the very things that he wants. If you want to change your behavior, your behavior comes after your heart changes. Christianity is not behavior modification. Christianity is a heart transplant. God wants to give you his own heart. So if you know this story in 2 Samuel 12 and 11, we have David in the very beginning of chapter 11 not going off to a war in a time when kings were supposed to go off to war. That tells you a lot. Because David was supposed to go off to war and he decided to stay behind. That's a whole other message. But what happens is because he stays behind, he's hanging out on his roof. He should be really out in war. He's hanging out on his roof and he looks over into this, I'm just paraphrasing, okay? Looks over and he sees this hot babe. Her name is Bathsheba. And he goes, oh my gosh, dude, look, she's gorgeous. And he lusts after her in his heart. What does he end up doing? He ends up taking her. She's somebody else's wife. And you know what he does? He actually sends her husband out on the front line of battle, and he tells his commander in chief, hey, withdraw when the dude's there so that he can be killed. So this is pretty nasty, folks. Has anybody in here had adultery and then killed that person's spouse? If you have, you, are, you can raise your hand. We'll call the police now. 
but like, like a lot of people like, oh, it's amazing. Gordon McDonald was this incredible man of God for the longest time, still is an incredible man of God, but he wrote all these books. Some of the books in my library uh, were amazing. Gordon McDonald had an affair. He's a pastor, the president of a college. Um, he had a horrible affair. He confessed it immediately after having it. He put himself under the authority of his elders. Um, but I, I was amazed, this is years ago when this was happening, I had Christian friends and they were so distraught that Gordon McDonald had fallen. They said, I'll never read another Gordon McDonald book again. I went, really? Don't read the Psalms. Well, by the way, don't read Ecclesiastes. Don't, don't read any book of the Bible. Because it's all written by sinful people, a loving, grace-filled God through broken people. See, David is an adulterer. He's a murderer. And yet, he's a man after God's own heart. What you're going to see is why. So the Lord sent Nathan to David because David did all this stuff and he is, he's blind. You know how he got there? He has stronghold thinking. This is a dude that is praying, God, reveal to me anything that's unclean inside of me and yet look what he's doing. He's blind. Why? Because he's got a stronghold. A stronghold, an established pattern of thinking that run contrary to God's will. And part of that established pattern of thinking might be a sense of entitlement. By the way, how many of you think you're a king or a queen? How many of you act like you're a king or a queen? I'm not talking of the kingdom, I'm talking of the world. <laughs> In your home, how many of you, let's put it this way, how many of you want your way? Okay. How many of you think everybody else should do it your way? That's what a worldly king does. That's what a worldly queen does. And David is a king. He probably has some sense of entitlement. He looks at her, he goes, she's hot, I'm going to take her. Doesn't belong to me. I'm going to take her anyway. By the way, I'm going to kill the one that's in my way. That's pretty nasty. And if you don't think you have the potential for stuff like that, look again. You have far greater for potential for destruction than you think you do. You also have far greater for potential for glory than you think you do. And if you don't em embrace both of those truths, you're missing what God has for you. You're a sinner saved by grace. Apart from him, where would you be? The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town. Don't you love this? This is the way that Jesus taught. He just tells a story. You see, story is powerful because what it does is it displaces the truth from us for a little while. There was once a man, when God starts to talk to you that way, he's saying, you're that guy. But I'm going to tell you a story anyway. There was once a man. Um, he, he said there was two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very large number of sheep and, sheep and cattle. But the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. So there's this dude that has a ton of livestock. And there's this one man who's poor and has only one little ewe lamb that he bought. He raised this ewe lamb. It grew up with him and his children, it shared his food, it even drank from his cup, and it slept in his arm. It was like a daughter to him. This is very, go, aw. See, this is very endearing. Nathan's telling him the story. You got this rich dude. He's got all kinds of heads of cattle, all kinds of sheep, everything, hundreds, thousands of this stuff. And you got this one dude who's poor. He's only got one. 
Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refined from take, refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the man's little ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man, and he prepared it for the one who had come to him. Now this is great injustice. David burned with anger against the man. Stop. Do I not hate those who hate you? Do I not abhor those who do evil? Psalm 139. So David's righteous indignation is welling up with inside himself, burned with anger against the man, as surely as the Lord lives. The man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. See all that righteous indignation is welling up towards another? Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. Four incredibly powerful words. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from, I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave the master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all of Israel and Judah. And if all of this had been too little, I would have given you even more. I've given you all of this. I've given you everything that you need, more than what you need. And if you needed more, I would have done it for you because I love you. Why did you despise my word, David, the word of the Lord, by doing what is evil in my eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with his sword, and you took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me, and you took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. Stop. What does it mean? That David despised the Lord. Well, there's a couple things here, and I want you to understand. This is probably the most popular and profound stronghold thinking that all of us have. I can have more on my own apart from God. You write that down. You put, underline it. I can have more apart from God's will for my life. You see, he's holding out on me. If I do things my way, I will get more. And when we do that, we turn our back on God and we say, God, not your will be done, but my will be done. This is my kingdom, God, and these are my ways. I'm going to do things my way, God. I want mine. I want more. And when we act that way, we are buying into a lie that's as old as the book. See, Genesis, it says, did he really say, surely you won't die? For when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, knowing good from evil, and you will be like God. Say that. And you will be like God. What is Satan saying? God's holding out on you. There's more for you than you can have with him. Just do it your way. Do it this way, and then you will experience more in this. You will experience more from life than what he really wants to give you. And God is saying, look at what I've given you. And if it wasn't enough, I would have given you more. But I've given you everything you need. This stronghold is a stronghold that stands in the way for so many of us. It's called idolatry. And every single one of us have idols in our lives. You know what idolatry is? It's a level of dependence on someone or something other than God. Just write that down. An unhealthy level of dependence on someone or something other than God. Where do you run for life? 
You know, um, they're vast in my life. I just kind of rotate them. It used to be beer. You know, I'm a sacred man with a great propensity for beer. I haven't had a beer for 36 years, I think. By the grace of God, I haven't drank any alcohol because I'm an alcoholic. I ran there, and God just said, lob it off. Lob it off. And so by the grace of God, one day at a time, I've been able to lob it off. But then after beer came food. Anybody like food? Oh, food is so good. Now look, if I talk about Lay's potato chips with that golden crunch and crisp and the fat and the salt, oh my Lord, if I talk about that with greater adoration than I do for Jesus, if I think about a Lay's chip with greater affection than I have for Jesus, then I have just turned a piece of potato into an idol. What are you affectionate for? Who do you adore? What do you run to? Who is your Bathsheba? Would you be surprised if I told you you all have them? I know, because I've sat with enough of you. I also know this, because I've looked inside of myself. I have them too. What or who are you pursuing other than God? If you're pursuing something or someone other than God, and you're making someone or something central to your life or central to your existence other than God, you have stronghold thinking. You've been deceived. And God wants to set you free from that deception. So David burns, and, and Nathan says, you are the man. This is what the Lord of God real says. Like, I anointed you over Israel. I gave you all this stuff. You despised my word by doing what was evil. You struck down Uriah. Therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. David, you substituted me with something else. This is what the Lord says, out of your household I'm going to bring calamity on you before your very eyes. I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before of all of Israel. Then David said to Nathan, circle this, underlight this, highlight this, I have sinned against the Lord. That's one sentence. Can I tell you something? That is the definitive moment because David was a king and Nathan was a prophet. You know what could have happened? David could have stared this dude down, listened to what he had and said. He said, I'm going to kill you, dude. <laughs> you know what happened to John the Baptist, don't you? Kings had a habit of beheading people that they didn't like. And frankly, they didn't like people who told them the truth about themselves. How about you, king? How about you, queen? You like it when people point out stuff to you that you don't like to see? See, I believe that angels in heaven were rejoicing right here because David said, I have sinned against the Lord. Are you ready to say that? Are you so filled with deception that the first thing you do is become self-defensive, self-protective, self-righteous, self-entitled? What is the common word in all of those? Self. You need to be looking up, dear child, for the gospel of Jesus Christ gives you the perfect shelter for you to confess the true state of your soul, for you to confess your sinfulness and be able to say, I have sinned against the Lord. Would you say those words out loud with me, please? I have sinned against the Lord. Now stop, I'll say them again in a moment, but I want you to just ask the Lord, I want you to stand with him for a second. 
And I want you to ask him to help you believe them. Say it again. I have sinned against the Lord. So David, in another moment, pauses, shoulders slump over, and he goes, the problem is me. Now, it didn't stop the consequences. There were consequences. Remember, you can break yourself on God's laws, and there were consequences. And for lack of time, we won't go into those consequences right now. But if you read on, you will find that David humbles himself in sackcloth and ashes. He's crying out for this child, and then he actually goes and cares for his wife. You see, he makes amends, which we're going to talk about moving forward. But I want you to know that God longs for you to look in with him. So who is your Nathan? And who is or what is your Bathsheba? Because we all have them. And the question is, are you allowing God to use Nathans in your life to look in? For you look up and then you look in, but now we must look out. And by looking out, I mean we're looking towards others. You see, David does this. He looks out, then he kind of goes, I need to cry out for this child. And so he cries out for this child now to God. And then he goes to his wife. If you really want to see a paraphrase of this whole thing, read the story of Zacchaeus in the new scripture. How many know the wee little man? You know the wee little man? Isn't it Zacchaeus? It's a song, right? The wee little man is he? He climbed a tree, right? Yeah, the dude climbed a tree to look up. The dude climbed a tree to look up. Here's Jesus. He's coming out. People know who he is. They know stuff is going on around him. They know, like, oh, my gosh, this dude is changing people's lives. He's rocking people's worlds. He's giving them new hearts. He's turning the whole paradigm upside down. He's standing up against the religious folks. He's, he's speaking the gospel truth. He's bringing in the kingdom. And Zacchaeus, who is this tax collector, who is hated by people, who is filled with sin, he climbs a tree so he can look up to Jesus. You go, no, he's looking down. No, he's higher than Jesus. No, he ain't higher than Jesus. No one's higher than Jesus. And Zacchaeus climbs this little tree and he listens to Jesus and Jesus knows he's there. And the crowd of people, he knows this dude is there. And he goes, hey, Zacchaeus, come on down from there. I'm going to your house tonight to have supper with you. You know what that invitation meant? I accept you. I'm going to be intimate with you. This guy was ostracized and rejected by almost everybody around him. He was a tax collector. He was hated hated. And yet Jesus calls him out from across the crowd. He says, hey dude, come on down. I'm going to go have fellowship with you. I want you to be with me because I want to be with you. And before Zacchaeus' feet hits the ground, he says, Lord, if I've taken anything from anybody, I'm going to pay him back double. No, I'm going to pay him back four times. God, I want to give it all back to you. You see, he was someone who was invited to intimacy with God, and he was someone who allowed God to show him by looking up what was inside of him. And then he looked out. He said, God, how can I make my relationships right with other people? I've done damage, God. How can you use me to help right these wrongs and show people the love that you have for them? But Lord, this love wasn't meant only to come to me. 
Your love was meant to move through me in such a way that I would lay down all my defenses, all my self-justifying, all my self-righteousness, and I would learn to say these simple words, I have sinned against the Lord. I'm so sorry, God. So folks, I want to invite you today. I want to ask the prayer team to come up. We have some anointing oil up here. You know, people were anointed for a number of reasons in the scripture. The prayer team can come up now. That would be awesome. We, we, we anoint for healing. We anoint for installment into an office. We anoint for protection from deception. So I want to ask you a couple questions today. Here's the first one. How many of you have an inclination to be defensive or self-justifying or self-rationalizing when you see the truth about you? You don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> you can if you want. But if, if you're in that place, and by the way, some of you are watching your posture and you're like this. <laughs> You know, by the way, body posture tells a lot. I'm not calling you out. I'm just saying that, like, I get like this. My wife brings me something. Sometimes I'm standing like this. She goes, what are you doing? I'm protecting myself. Why? Jesus is your protector. Lay it down. Let go. God, what do I need to know about me? I know you know everything. I know you love me. I know you made me. I know I'm your boy. I know I'm your gal. I know it. I know it. I know it. Now, what do you need to show me about me? What dark parts of my soul have not seen the gospel light yet? And what destruction am I causing? What harm am I causing in my life? Maybe you need to renounce that stronghold thinking that has to do with your self-protective strategies. Maybe you need to accept the invitation to be a minister of reconciliation. You know, God calls us to go out. We're going to be talking about that, especially next week as we look at the Peacemaker's Pledge. But maybe you realize today you haven't been a peacemaker. I want to encourage you to come forward, and I want to ask that you would allow these folks to pray with you, to anoint you today. For a child of God, there's no longer any reason for you to be self-righteous, self-defensive, self-justifying, self-protective. God's got you. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, we thank you for your faithfulness. We ask now that you would guide us to discover freedom in you, Lord God. For if you set someone free, they are free indeed. We are free from the need to protect ourselves anymore. We are free from the need to justify, Lord. We can honestly take your hand and walk into the dark places to have you open closet doors and to reveal and heal. God, help this to be our prayer. Search me, O oh Lord. Test my anxious thoughts. See if there's any unclean way in me. And lead me in your way everlasting. Sons and daughters of God, if you want that to be the prayer of your heart today, I ask that you come forward. Allow someone to pray for you, to anoint you with oil. I pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, Let's stand together and sing one final closing song as you're free to come forward.